Hey, what's up? It's Brian from Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Uh, you hear us talk about the Patreon, the Patreon page, patreon.com slash stories. Maybe you don't know what that is. Let me just give you a really quick rundown of what it means to us and what it can mean for you. So uh, Patreon is set up so that you uh, pay a subscription fee to us for extra content. So all of the regular stuff that you enjoy about the show stays free. The flagship episodes, the bonus episodes that typically go up on Friday, uh, the retolds, the forgotten bands, the albums that change my life all that stuff is is out there right so we have additional content that we do allow folks who uh support the show financially right now let me just give you a a taste right so you you get a weekly newsletter it's just a quick read with some headlines about stuff going on in rock and roll stuff going on in our personal lives uh, some of the music we're listening to all that sort of stuff sent to your email inbox and then throughout the month you get a handful of uh, different things. Sometimes it's video, sometimes it's audio. Right now, we've got a uh, about 10 minutes of Murdoch uh, in outtake from a recording session where Murdoch is telling me a personal story that has nothing to do with rock and roll about a portable air conditioner and some real drama. So that's that's one little added bonus that you get. Uh, you also, we have an episode that will be going up, an examination of sax solos in rock and roll. We, we try to determine the five best saxophone solos and the rock cannon. This is the sort of stuff that you get, right? Um, so check that out, patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. If it's in your budget, if you appreciate what we do, if you want a little more content to put into your ear holes, uh, we will give it to you right there. Patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. Don't go to sleep, mother. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it is Murdoch. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. We are the story guys at gmail.com is how you get your question to us. That's what John S. did. S. He wrote the show and he says, big fan of the pod, which is awesome. Thank you, buddy. Uh, wanted to say thanks for the show. Very nice. And then, of course, he, he has something to ask. I have a question. I know this is a little different than the rivalries that you normally cover on the show, but I've heard that there was a feud between two brothers that started the Zildjian Symbol Company. What's the story there? Keep doing what you're doing and keep telling stories. Why is this the best letter? Like we've we've talked about <laughs> we've talked about people with cocaine and heroin problems and hookers and drugs yeah, and music yeah, and and yeah. everything and. This is like the m- most interesting letter. Well, it's, like the, it, the simp, like what happened? It's going to take us to places that we have never been on this show before. That is for sure. I was intrigued. I mean, if there is a brand associated with rock and roll mm-hmm. and rock history through most of its existence, I, I hadn't really realized this until I read this letter. But he's right. It's it's Zildjian. Right, right, and and like legendary people were using those symbols. Gene Krupa, Buddy Rich. Uh, the late great Keith Moon, for Pete's sake, Joey Kramer, who sadly can't make this tour. Uh, yeah, Smith's floating around. Uh, Lars, yeah. can we just make him like like Seal? What? Lars, okay, Lars. Oh yeah, yeah. Or, like okay. he's just he's just one name. Yeah, I'm he's fine with Lars. that. We can just call him Lars on this show for sure. And it's too bad that Travis Barker has to have two because he should just have he one. should just have one. So for he sure. uses the symbols too. So I mean, it's like that's. The biggest like people like on Mount Rushmore. Well, and of not not only drummers. is it a, is big people, it's big people from throughout history. Like very quickly, you walked us through fifty plus years of rock, and that's just a small sampling of people who have used these symbols. So how long how long do you think without looking? How long do you think this brand's been around? Oh, I don't know. Um, 
Like, like yeah. guess, guess a year that you think this company started. All right, I'm going to go 1617. 1618. <laughs> well, it, it depends on what you read. Somewhere between 1618 and 1623. <laughs> that, that's a 400-year-old company. Wait, I, it's crazy, right? What, what, I had no idea what, about any of this. I, I clearly didn't. So it's, it's still owned by the family. Literally, it's one of the oldest operations on Earth that's still functioning. The company is so old. They actually existed back when people were just known by where they lived and what they did for a living, like before there were surnames, really. Brian and Mark Louisville Truth Tellers. Essentially. We don't have right. last names. <laughs> so it's something like that. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you know where Constantinople is? It, it, it was where, where Istanbul is. Yes, exactly. You've listened to your They Might Be Giants. It's the only way I know anything about that at all. <laughs> I knew that before I really knew anything about Turkey or... Uh, Istanbul was Constantinople, now it's Istanbul, now Constantinople, been a long time gone. Constantinople, now it's Turkish delight on a moonlit night. Every gal in Constantinople lives in Istanbul, now Constantinople, so if you a date in Constantinople, she'll be waiting in Istanbul. Now it's Istanbul. Uh, but back in the day, it was literally Constantineville. Like, the reason it was named Constantinople is Constantine the Great was ruling the Roman Empire in, like, the year 330, and he just decided to name the whole damn city after himself. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I just thought it was Constantinople. I didn't know it was Constant. No. Constantineville. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally, I mean that's, that's essentially what it means. What it means that's right? what it means. Yeah. Like, it's, oh, he just named it after himself. Can so you imagine? It's it's like Markburg. T- Ted Cruzberg. <laughs> Let's think about something. Char- Charlton Hestonville. I mean, you came from a place called Lewisburg. That's right. Who was Lewis? But uh, Lewis and Clark. Oh, yeah, okay. Super easy. Yeah. yeah. That, no, that one makes sense. Yeah. It's better than Forestville, right? Which is probably what they were where they were trying to name somewhere in Tennessee. Oh. After Nathan Bedford Forest. Um, I'm sure they... But I mean, he's from the same... Like, near where I'm from, but they don't have... That's what I mean, yeah. They don't have anything named after him. We'll take Lewis and Clark, for yeah. sure. Uh, so in this city, in, in Constantinople, uh, it, there was an alchemist named Evedis. Uh Have you ever read the book, The Alchemist? Uh, Cliff Notes? Uh, yeah. So I, I tried once. <laughs> I, I did, didn't, I didn't, I didn't make it all the, the way through. I didn't read the book. Yeah, yeah no, I, I know it's supposed to be great, and I've just decided to accept that it's great and not necessarily prove it to myself. Anyway, alchemy. Uh, here's the definition of what alchemy is. Clang. It, it's like the medieval forerunner of chemistry. And it's based on the transformation of matter, but more the supposed transformation of matter, right? So this guy, Vedas, is like, like, you know what would be really helpful? If I could take shitty metals and make them valuable, can I just transform base metals that I find anywhere and make them into gold? Like, you know, that's the idea of alchemy. Do you know what I didn't know as a kid is that if you ran around going clang, clang, clang goes the trolley, that that wasn't a very masculine thing for a little boy to do. <laughs> What's that have to do with anything? Clang, clang, metal. Oh, oh metal. Clang, I was like, alchemy. Yeah. Oh, it, it's when it's when two things hit each other and, and well, clang, no. clang so, happens. No, the alchemy is actually when you just take See, two things. I read the cliff notes. I didn't read the book. <laughs> if I'd read the book, Brian... I know this very important detail about what alchemy is, this is but this, I didn't. I mean, so the word alchemy gets used today in sort of a different way, but it's basically like 
two part science, one part magic, right? The idea that you can transform things. So, okay. So, okay. So he's, he's messing with metal and what happens? He hits the metal and then it, it makes clang, clang, clang. Yeah, is the I mean, trolley sound? essentially, yeah. Right? So, like, at, at one point in this medieval fuckery, he combines tin, <laughs> copper, and other cheap stuff that he finds laying around, and he 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 tinks it, which I don't think is the technical term. But that's what I call it, tinking it. You know, when you like flick something with your finger and it makes a noise. And then it's the first Slipknot record. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they figured out they should hit a keg with a baseball bat. That's right. Uh, but, okay, so to oversimplify it a bit, what he actually accomplishes, this guy in Constantinople in 1618 or 1623, had he, he figured out that he could combine things and the final product wouldn't break. So he could take these different elements, he could put them together, and typically if you did that, it would be a problem. Okay, so here is a quote from a modern family member. B20 bronze is extremely brittle. This is so crazy weird, this story. B20 bronze is extremely brittle, especially with all that tin in it. With the larger proportion of tin is what contributes to the brilliance and the sonority of the sound. Now, if you tried to put together a B20 alloy just any which way, then heated it and rolled it, it would break up like a dry cracker. I just want to hang out with them. <laughs> so like, this I want to go to Chili's yeah, This with is them. a guy from Zildjian, yeah. like from the last few decades talking about this, right? And, and this is what the alchemy is, right? It's figuring out how to take these elements and make something, make them make something when you put them together that's different than the thing they are when they are apart. What he wanted it to be was gold. What he makes instead is basically a thing that sounds cool when you hit it. Now, uh, uh, it also made sounds that were better than like whatever other people were using for noisemakers at the time, running around. And so the royal court starts using this for ceremonies. That's the main use. Oh, clang. Clang, here comes the king, right? <laughs> clang, clang. And, and, and so th- what happens is there's a sultan, Sultan Osman II, who hears the symbol in Constantinople. And he has the creator of this noisemaker, Avidus, brought to him and literally gives him a new name. Remember I said this is the time where you like don't have surnames? Mm-hmm. So he, oh. his thought process here is, this motherfucker is from now on going to be known as son of a symbol maker. That is the English translation. Do you want to guess what son of a symbol maker sounds like in S- Turkish? Zildjian? Zildjian. Yeah, that's literally what it is. Oh my gosh! So he got his surname. Oh, that's so. It's a because he because he could make symbols by accident because he was trying to make gold out of crap he found in his yard. <laughs> Do you know what I see and hear in my head is is Mel Brooks from History of the World Part One, right? With and and Dom right. DeLuise is the king. Yeah, I, I, I've got, listen. I've got to say. As a guy who had a career in marketing, hot damn, that is quite the brand origin story. So I guess the recipe for how to make this metal work, that's a family secret? Yeah, right? So like, it's still a family-owned company, and this is, this is their leverage. The story is that it gets handed down to the firstborn male in each generation. This becomes the main thing you need to hear to understand the rest of this story in this episode, is that... It's supposed to get handed down to the firstborn male in each generation. This is stuff that doesn't sound weird to me because I grew up reading the Bible, and this is like the way it is, right? There's these, all these. So I don't know how much time you spend in the Bible. You, you go to certain books in that book, and there it will start with 
so-and-so son of so-and-so, so-and-so was son of so-and-so, so-and-so was son of genealogies, right? And it's always about the family line. So all the way back in the 1600s when this is going on and they're passing this art of making this thing that's used in the royal court down, they pass it to that particular firstborn male in each generation. And for the first 300 years, that male basically will spend his life in a tiny workshop in Turkey making badass symbols for royal ceremonies. This is like when the History Channel got cool and wasn't just the Hitler Channel. <laughs> this is amazing, interesting stuff. John, thanks. This was the best letter. Uh, dude, okay, so we're just getting started. Now, Turkish <laughs> men are beating symbols, getting into shape. <laughs> okay, so... We'll be right back. Okay, sorry. So, Sildren shopped. Th- those things... They're manufactured symbols for yeah. Ottoman military bands. Yeah, that's one thing. Ensemb- ensembles, yeah. which were known in the West primarily for playing in battle. Right. Greek and Armenian churches. Uh-huh. Sufi dervishes. Yeah. Belly dancers. Yeah. Who wore finger symbols. Yeah, so, so they were literally making them tiny and putting them symbols. on their fingers. Yeah. So that that's what... If, 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 the, if your question is... How do they make a whole career out of this? Why do you need so many symbols? There was belly, belly dancers have been around longer than Atari games. Like, right? <laughs> like, we've had belly dancers. Longer dance- than Atari games? We've had, yes, longer than 40 years. 40 years. Belly dancers we, have been around. We've had belly dancers for hundreds of years. Have you ever gone to, like, a Middle Eastern belly dancing bar in the States? Or, or not in the States? No. So, when I, on my 21st birthday, I was hanging out with my now wife and two of our friends in Chicago, and one of them was like, oh, hey, my friend belly dances at this Middle Eastern place in a neighborhood in Chicago. And so we spent the evening at this belly dancing place, and it was awesome, and she was really good. Here's the thing you didn't realize, is that you were supposed to be spending a lot of money while you're in there. We were all broke. We were young. I was 21. Was it was it called Shotgun Willies? No, like, no, no. This was a very legitimate place. Greek know, food. It was all... Oh, like, I know. Just when yeah. you're like... The part I didn't understand was you had to spend a lot of money. <laughs> I was imagining, I was imagining you being like, "I don't have any more." <laughs> well, I guess we were just like weren't spending money at all, yeah. so we were broke. We were like, "Hey, we're just going to come see your friend." And then like people kept circling from the kitchen and being like, "Uh, what else do you want?" And we were like, "No, we don't want anything." And they were like, "No, what really, really, what do you want?" And we were like, "Oh no, we don't want anything." And they were like, "What do you want?" And it was like, "Oh, we're supposed to spend money." Yeah. Oh, we just came for the belly dancing. Yeah. So then we just spent money we didn't have buying food, and it was awesome. You should have said, "We came here for the finger symbols." Yeah. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so. Oh my God. So after okay. hundreds of years of this, this has to be some interesting stories. So right? here's like a basic rundown. So we started in the early 1600s. In 1850, now in charge of this whole thing, is a guy named Davidus II. Okay. Uh, and he has the bright idea to build a 25-foot schooner in order to take this shit international. So he starts sailing symbols to trade exhibitions in places like London, and then when he dies, his kids are too young to take over, and so his brother gets control. Well, of course. And this dude's name is Carope uh, II. And he intros this line of symbols that he calls K. Zilchen. And they still get used today mostly by classical musicians. And this becomes a part of the story that we're going to sort of skip over because the story gets very complicated with family drum and family dynamics. 
So we've had to streamline it a little bit, but this whole K Zildjian thing is important. But I mostly bring up this portion and I bring up Karope because this is the first time the company moves within the family from that firstborn son. So it moves from the firstborn son to a brother. Mm-hmm. Because remember, this, the tradition is the oldest member. And so once it goes back to Avidus's line, one of his kids doesn't want it, so he passes it on to another one. And this, again, I'm just telling you that there is now a precedence for it to not necessarily go to the person that traditionally it's supposed to go to, and this becomes key to the story. So for all of our listeners who are like, okay, um, great. Um, yeah, what kind of podcast is this? Yeah. What kind of rock and roll podcast when, is this? One, when is someone getting murdered? <laughs> Eventually, we all die. But okay, so how did how did this get here when like we didn't... To, like to America? When we didn't... When like the talkies came. So like when, when did, you know, when did we have... The symbols actually show okay, up here. So that's courtesy of... Like the 20s or... Uh, we've talked about Avidus 1, Avidus 2. Now we're going to talk about Avidus 3. That's courtesy of him. Because So because of this precedence that I just set up for transferring the lineage, the responsibility for symbol making got transferred out of Avidus III's family line. The generation before him. Like his dad had handed it to his brother. So Avidus III is off the hook. He is a free man. And he's looking to get out of this... You know, as as uh, Beauty once said in Beauty and the Beast, this provincial life. He's looking for how does how does he go to somewhere else? And he gets this weird opportunity. I read this in passing that he gets this opportunity to like accompany some diplomat or or rich person overseas. And so he takes this opportunity and he goes. He ends up in America in 1908 while all of his family is back hmm. in Turkey, and. He ends up meeting a woman there in the United States, and they start having kids, and he'll open a candy factory, which is pretty dope. Uh-uh. Yeah. So I, I do have a question here just to stop for a second. Do you have any worthless cousins? Like, I feel like most families, it's like, oh, that's cousin Dan. He's worthless. Do you have any worthless cousins? No. Do, is is this code for they listen to the show, so I can't? No. No. Like, on, on my mom's <laughs> side, like... You don't have a weird branch in the family tree? Uh, yeah. this, is, this is a safe space. It's only, you know, um, all our listeners. No, all those cousins are great. And then my dad's side, the cousins are all awesome. Um, I think it's just the older people. Okay, so I, th- I think not having worthless cousins is actually, that's probably what's uncommon. I think it's actually pretty common to have cousins that are worthless. And, and You mean I, I have a normal family? <laughs> I actually read two versions of this story, and they're dramatically different. One is that Avidus's cousins were so stupid and so his uncle asked Avidus to take back over the business seems reasonable right Right. so he's like listen this should never have transferred to my side of the family sorry come back 1927 Avidus the third gets a letter from his uncle that says basically my kids are stupid I need your help please come back to Turkey and fix this mess but he don't want to leave America now no he's got a wife and a candy factory so he says if you want my help you got to move the company here and this is how the Turkish word for son of a symbol maker gets to New <laughs> England. Because let me tell you what, buddy, if you owned a candy factory, you wouldn't move your ass anywhere yeah, either. Dude, I know. You're like the like the dreamer of all dreams. And and this is the origin story of Willy Wonka. Yeah. No, so the other version of the story is way more epic. And I actually think this one is more true. It has Avidus's uncle being like a war revolutionary who tried to assassinate Sultan Abdul Amid 
the second and failed and got himself exiled. Now I read in one, I read in That's one thing great story. Yeah. I read one place that it was like, he was part of this coup and it was like, it, it felt like it was like awesome and like revolutionary. And then I read another thing that said he was just an a-hole and he was like messing around and accidentally got himself exiled. I don't know who knows it, in this story though. He, while he's in exile, he has a kid running the business mm-hmm. in Turkey and she actually seems to do fine. But regardless it doesn't matter which of those incredible stories is true. This is what we do know. Avidus III does manage to convince his uncle, after he gets that letter, to come to Boston where he lived. And in 1929, mm. just months before the Great Depression, Avidus Zildjian Company was created in Quincy, Massachusetts. In 1929. What a bummer. <laughs> the timing's not great. Timing's terrible. Yeah. Okay. The the story is that while he's trying to get this company off the ground, Vetus is also running a candy that candy factory. Right. Right. And then he's like going home and hand hammering five or six symbols every night with these old oh, country relatives. Oh my god, he's hand yeah. They do it by hand hammering. So okay. So this is okay. Thirties. So yeah. so what's the what's the market for these that he's making? Okay. Uh, like handmade. So great great question. Well. And we're gonna we're, in a moment. We're gonna sort of get into this. So there is something while he is in the country after 1908. It seems like he might be paying a little bit of attention to popular culture, and he has heard that there's a new kind of music happening in New York City. Mm. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. It's jazz. It's jazz. So the way the Zildjian folks tell the story now, Avidas like did Candy Factory by day, hand hammered by night, mm-hmm. and then he. Then he drove to New York City with a carload of product on the weekends and tried to get drummers to try it. Yeah, it works. Well, it does. But part of the reason it works is that Avidas knows that the customer likes to be right. So he starts promising to make these things, because he's doing it by hand, to specific specs for every client he gets. Yeah, so think about Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich and people that played these these symbols and kind of they kind of became kind of a trademark. Right. Well, and it becomes a talking point of, at some point in the company's history later. That uh, and I think it's Avidas the third son who will start to say this story about Louis Prima ordering a square symbol one time, and apparently it was like terrible. But th- but that's the point him. of that story is that they would do it if Louis Prima calls and says, uh, "Hey, I want a square symbol," then Zildjian will make it for him for a price. And so they not only survive, they end up they end up making it through the yeah. Great Depression. And those custom orders obviously get them down a path creating different kinds of percussion that now are standard, right? Splash, uh-huh. the sizzle, the ping, the uh-huh. ride, the hi-hat. Yeah. They, do, the, they do all, all that. Things. That's all Zildjian. Yeah. Now, part of the Zildjian story and the brand identity becomes this idea of innovation and, quote, investing in development. The fact that Zildjian is always willing to try something new makes them appealing to people like Lars and Travis Barker. Uh, but... It is the willingness to innovate that actually saves them because the thread of this story that I haven't pulled on yet has to do with what Avidas III walked into in America. So before they moved the company there, you were asking about like what the market was. The market was actually pretty good in America for symbols. Think about it. The Roaring Twenties, right? And they were selling. But logistically, it was really hard to get metal from Turkey to the U.S. of A. Gosh. So, so thinking he's making a good move, that uncle who was still over there in Turkey before he gives gets you know his his nephew back in the company, he makes a deal with a guy named 
Fred Gresh. It's his crazy uncle. <laughs> drunk, drunk Uncle Fred. Well, so he just makes kidding. he makes this deal with Fred Gresh. And just just Google Avita Zildjian versus Fred Gresh. There's a bunch of legal write-ups to keep you busy. But know this. When they physically enter the market in America as that Avita Zildjian company in 1929, Fred Gresh owns the trademarks <laughs> for yeah. K Zildjian, which we talked about earlier, A Zildjian, and Zildjian. So this is where the New York City hustle right. comes This is in. why he has to now expand into jazz in the clubs in New York City. Right. So here's a quote from Avedis, the third son, which maybe would make him the fourth, but maybe not. Let's no, just, no, his name's not Avedis. His name's Lisa. Yeah. Okay. I'm not Lisa. These jokes aren't going well. <laughs> I quote, liked it. Quote, if my father hadn't listened to retailers like Bill Mather and drummers like Gene Krupa or Joe Jones, he might still be making clunkers, think, thick, heavy symbols that you couldn't write or phrase on. People who are trying to defy my father will never understand that he didn't develop the stuff. It finally came through him. And thank God he was open enough to listen to the musicians, to turn their needs and suggestions into good musical instruments. And by the end of the 30s, after his uncle returned to Europe and the original factory burned down, my father was able to design a new space in Quincy, Mass, that incorporated all his ideas about using machines to do that heavy work. So innovation, innovation. In the worst time in U.S. history financially, he comes in and sells these symbols to a new group of people who end up basically being the best advertisement for them. I mean, now it's like if you play Zildjian cymbals, you know you're playing what Gene Krupa, one of the greatest drummers of all time, played. You know what Keith Moon played, right? I mean, this is what's so interesting about this story to me. But... Things continue to be complicated. They get away from the Great Depression. And I don't know, okay, so the Great Depression is part of this, right? How do you, as a government and as a, as a country, how do you recover when you need money to push the country forward and you've created all these work programs and all this stuff, not to get too much into U.S. history or politics, but you've got to fund it somehow. So have you ever heard of the Revenue Act of 1940? That's the corporate tax. That's the corporate tax. That's it, it, The corporate tax literally goes in 1940 from 19% to 33%. Gosh. This almost ends the company. But they get wow. bailed out by, remember I was said, I had to mention this K. Zildjian guy, right? Still over in Turkey. Hmm. K. Zildjian. So they now essentially own the company. Gosh. So this weird. perpetuates the brand, the K. Zildjian brand, and it keeps Zildjian moving, but they're now, they now have this other party who... who pretty much takes over everything. But do they get the trademark back from Gretsch? Yeah, so in 1951, that finally happens. And, and then they go and try to keep the people back in Turkey, K. Zildjian and all of them, from using the name too. But they it, it doesn't work because a bunch of legal mumbo-jumbo, right? And so now we come to the conflict that will finally break the company, literally. Is this what John wrote us about? This is what John wrote okay, us about. Okay, okay, yeah. Thanks, John. Okay, so... All the time while the company is getting bailed out and then getting their name back and then trying to enforce their trademark, Avedis has his two sons, Armand and Robert Zildjian. And remember, this is the tradition of the Zildjian folk. Right. They're learning his trade. Right, but historically it's supposed to go to one son. Oh, you are you listen so well. That's exactly it. I showed up to the podcast. <laughs> so it's it's the oldest. The oldest son is supposed to get it, but Avedis doesn't want to play favorites with his two kids. So he teaches 
both of them the Zildjian secrets. You mean like Sonny and Cher? So you're 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 starting to see the problem. Yeah. Okay. So so yeah, that's a drag. So the story from here, like most stories that end up in fights and her feelings, becomes very complicated. Now, if you want to get into the nitty gritty of all this, there is a 1983 article from Modern Drummer Magazine that details it excruciatingly. We have that labeled in the show notes. You can go read it. We borrow heavily from it, obviously, throughout this episode. But to way oversimplify, the long and short of it is this. Robert Zildjian spends the 60s and 70s pushing the company forward. But when his dad, Vedas, dies in 1979, the other brother, the younger brother, gets the same amount of the company. Basically, each son got 49.472%, and the remainder, that little bit, mm-hmm. that like half a percentage, 0.6 yeah. percentage or whatever it is, it goes into a trust to For, be controlled by both guys. That Peter Grant owns. Yeah. <laughs> so Ro- Robert thinks it shouldn't be equal because of how much he's invested. Right, right, exactly. And now he'll, he'll go to claim in court that he's been the leader of this company since his father had backed down from the role in 68. He starts arguing that Armand and his sons has, has, have conspired with the bank that held the trust. They're trying to freeze him out of management. Robert contends he has the option to buy companies, the company's Canadian subsidiary, and he wants the court to forbid the rest of the family from interfering with this operation of the other foreign branches because he thinks he's he should have all the credit for all their sales because he's been the guy sort of pushing the company. And the question becomes why, right, John? Yeah. Why? Why would Armand fight so hard for this? And this is what I've been waiting to do the entire podcast, John, is to read something from Modern Drummer. (laughs) Quote, Rumors have been fast and furious on the street as to details to make a long and tedious story short and polite. Armand and Robert had differing philosophies and styles of management and symbol making. So this is from a UPI article from like the last part. 1981. The battle has become so bitter that an attorney for Robert Zildjian argued in documents filed in U.S. District Court that, quote, there exists innumerable and potentially irreconcilable differences between his brother Armand and himself, which have made it impossible for the two men to coexist as shareholders and directors of the company. It's unbelievable. It should be pointed out that Modern Drummer doesn't have an interview with Armand in their article. Yeah, I, he's not in it at all. Right, so it could be assumed that he declined, but it does leave the whole thing very one-sided, especially with quotes like that one. Um, Robert tells the magazine, Armand, quote, Armand and I were this close to a handshake agreement on the whole settlement, but a lawyer kept everybody at each other's throats, end quote. I think we can speculate that all those things lead to this, but basically I think Robert just feels like he earned it and he's just pissed off. Yeah. I mean, that's it seems pretty clear that's what's going on. Now, there is a detail that we skimmed over for the structuring of this story, but to take the long and make it short, when Robert started running the day-to-day in the late 60s, he bought a factory in Canada because they were going to do this like offshoot symbol and, and do it out of this one Canadian factory. And he ends up really loving the location. And apparently he was in, I think he fought in world war two and he comes back with a little PTSD and this becomes like a safe space for him. Somebody had told him about this, this spot in new Brunswick and he finds this factory and he makes that sort of his haven. So it's very special to him. And so when things start falling apart with his brother, 
this becomes the bargaining chip of what he wants. And that's what we mentioned earlier, that he thinks they're trying to lock him out of having that Canadian space, and he's pissed off about that, too. And so, two years in court, Armand, this is what each of them will walk away with. Armand will retain the Zildjian factory in Quincy, Massachusetts, the flagship thing that they created. But Robert gets the factory in Meductic, which is New Brunswick, Canada. Okay. And what do you do when you own a symbol factory, but you don't have a company? You start a new symbol factory. Exactly. And what do you do when your kids are named Sally, Andy, and Bill, and you're trying to come up with a name for your symbol factory and your symbol company? Your symbol factory is called New Edition. <laughs> Wait, Sandy and S- Sally, Andy, Bill. B. Oh, it's Sabian. Sorry. It's about the whole part of this entire podcast. You name your company Sabian. Okay, so this is from Modern Drummer. See, John, I told you, I get to do it twice. A complicated dis, uh, uh, disengagement was drawn up, which didn't permit Sabian Limited to come onto the world market until January 82 and prevented them from competing in the U.S. market until January 83, which couldn't be more complicated. But that is how we get the Sabian and Zildjian symbols. So, one, for those of you who never helped the drummer load out, <laughs> and you've always been like, where does he get those things from? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you just don't pay any attention because you just have like an instrument and a chord and then a thing that goes in it and then a power chord to that and then it goes into the hatchback and you leave. Yeah. So, But yeah, so the drummer might have one of those two kinds of symbols. Yeah. And that's... Why? I mean, almost they always. Exist. The, the other one is paste. I did oh, read yes, that at right. one point there was there was you know like Robert when he's like making his case for all of the things that he had done for this company in this modern drummer piece. He was like, I kept having to tell Dad to watch out for paste. Like you are obsessed with the K Zildjian folks who own some of our trademark, but like nobody cares about what's happening in Turkey. We meanwhile have paste here in the States and they're coming after us and going to eat our lunch. And that was like one of the battles he had to fight. And he would use that as a way to explain this is why it's so important and why I'm so important to the company, because I keep working on these actual practical matters. Yeah. But I've never thought about what goes into making a cymbal sound a certain way. I mean, have, have you've gone to see a band and you've been like, something sounds weird with that drum set. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, I mean, I my brother is a drummer, and so we have spent plenty of time talking about these things where he'll be like, I'll think everything's, be like, yeah, the drummer's pretty good. He's like, nah, that drummer doesn't hit hard enough. Or that, dr- that drummer's drum set doesn't sound good. And I'm like, really? What? You know, it's like when you, I know you play guitar. Mm-hmm. And you you probably hear guitar tone and be like, "What's up with that guitar tone?" I know I know immediately when I'm out of tune. I know when someone else is out of tune. Yeah, and I can't read music. Can't I can hear it? You know, it's like right. So it's it's got to be the same thing with drums. There's a thing that you just hear. Yeah, but it's I find all of this very fascinating because I I definitely didn't know that this was happening in the 1600s. <laughs> I know. The best part was John's letter, which um, not only gave me the opportunity to read from Modern Drummer. Come on, <laughs> have man. You, have you ever looked at a copy of Modern Drummer? No. <laughs> this is why it was so much fun to do any of this. Like, I had Guitar World and Guitar Player and all that stuff when I was younger, and I couldn't even play well, And I remember, like, it, this is hard to explain to people who 
I now live in the age of the internet where you can just type in like there's an app on my phone called ultimateguitar.com, mm-hmm. you know, and I can just go find a guitar tab and I, I'm sure there's something similar for drummers and you can go watch YouTube tutorials and people playing these songs through and watch their technique and stuff with great camera work and all that. It, it's, it's really wild. But remember when you, I would like walk by the magazine stand and pick up guitar player to see what they put in the back, what tabs they put in the back. Yeah. And that's when I remember seeing Brains 2 by Green Day, which is four power chords. Right. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and they had magazines that had CDs. And well, so yeah. Those were the best. This was also the first time that I realized, like, as a kid, I would look at those magazines and see that there was like, this is a band, this is Green Day, and this is Brains 2, which is a fairly simple sounding song, and there's actually five guitar parts in here. You know, like that's I learned about overdubs and about studio mm. recording and all that stuff by looking at that sort of thing. But all of this got me thinking about another rivalry that has nothing to do with rock and roll. This is actually a very similar story to in a lot of ways. So, do you know the story of Adidas? No. Oh no. Okay. So the Adidas shoes. Now, I did not pull the full history of Adidas because, again, this is you know rock and roll oriented podcast. But I I did hear this one time on another uh, program. So Adidas was started by two brothers, and one of them was named Adi, and their last name, their surname was Das. Adidas. Mm -hmm. So Adidas is literally Adidas. That's his name. And there is like a very similar thing that happens with the Zildjian brothers, where they get in a fight, and and the way I heard the story told is that I do think they were like, I forget what year it was, but there was like really like villages. And so like the villages or these brothers, because they live in these villages, like become rivals, like the towns become rivals, whatever. I'm losing the details. But the other brother ends up breaking off and making Puma. Oh. So much like you have Zildjian and Sabian, you have Adidas and Puma. Wow. That's pretty cool. The example I had wasn't anything at all on point with anything we were talking about. <laughs> what well, was no it? Sense. I was thinking about, I lived in New York and, and uh, Giuliani passed this law to where you couldn't have nudity basically above <laughs> like... What does this have second, to do with anything? And so they all, they, it, oh, the, in a certain part they, of town. Right, and they had to change their names. So oh. if, you were, if you were Billy's topless... You became Billy Stopless. What? <laughs> they would just change their name. They'd like move part of the name. So they would just like, that's like one way they would get around it. They would have a different name so they could walk around naked. Because they couldn't be, I don't even understand how that works. I don't either. I have no idea either. That is like the adult sex toy shop though in our town that used to be called something else and then somebody bought it and they had to just what what, what did it used to be called it was something else and now but it was really similar and now yeah. it's Cirilla's oh it was Priscilla's that's what it was and now it's Cirilla's <laughs> see, so it's the same concept it's right that, yeah it's that kind of thing and see that's the story those are the stories uh, that like are so fun like the letter that John wrote it's like the you know the two Italian brothers and they get into a fight and it becomes two restaurants. Yeah, it's right. Like, Those restaurants are so good. There's, there's another story like that in our town. There's two Impelazeris, right? I've oh. always heard that. Oh. I've always heard that that's two brothers. Oh, I don't know. And so there's like oh, technically two different 
in Pelizzeri's, and if you go to like they're they're slightly like if you look, they're called something slightly different like on the storefront, but everybody just thinks they're all the same thing, but they're technically owned by different branches of the family. Yeah. Um got me. I didn't know that at all. Except they're thick. I just know that. Yeah, that's big pizza. Yeah. <laughs> So, look, John, there was a fight. <laughs> it, it, it happened. I mean, it, it's not good podcasting. If we just tell you, listen, the two brothers got pissed off at each other. We had, we had to dig a little deeper than that. And we went, yeah, we, and 17th century. That's how far down we dug. We dug down to where we're like 17 cemeteries underneath there. That's a lot of digging. Uh, so if 17, you- The 17th century... <laughs> Rock and roll podcast. We have killed it. I mean, this is a new level. This is new. So I don't know if we now need to intro our show by saying that we are talking about your favorite bands, your favorite brands, and your favorite songs. We typically say your favorite bands and your favorite songs. We could also say, from the 17th century all the way up to now, here's Brian and Maria, uh, the Louisville story to truth teller. Yeah, we have, we have a big intro where it talks about the scope of work in terms of the time that we actually talk about. Listen, you know the scope of our work. If you have something you want to do to add to the scope of our work, it, it only takes an email from you or to hit us up on one of our social media channels. That, of course, is uh, we are the story guys at gmail.com. You can find us at Instagram, backslash rock and roll bedtime stories. You can also support the show on Patreon. We appreciate if you do that. Patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories gets you um, bonus material. Bonus material. We've got all sorts of stuff up there. We do playlist episodes. We do our top five rundowns of trying to determine the top five of any specific type of song or type of artist uh, and there's just you know sometimes you get video sometimes you get just random outtakes from the show who it's knows content that's just for our patreon members and you'll know when you become a patreon member because you'll be like oh i didn't have that before and then when you when you do you get access to everything we've ever done so. yeah so there's a lot waiting for you there for just five or ten dollars a month uh go check that out patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories and until next time murdoch what should people keep doing Keep banging on symbols and telling stories. <laughs>Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved. 